0: This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank, the International Leaders' Summit, Lancer Broadcasting Corporation, and the Pledge Radio in Michigan. I'm Joel Sami your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Sartorch, co-founder of the International Leaders' Summit. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we are truly, honored to have an extraordinary media leader join us from Israel's capital city, Jerusalem. Chris Mitchell is the CBN News Middle East Bureau Chief based in Jerusalem, Israel. Chris first began reporting on the Middle East in the mid-1990s. He repeatedly traveled there to report on the religious and political issues facing Israel and the surrounding Arab states. He has traveled extensively, including the more difficult places affected by conflicts of war. There are very few Western journalists that have a deep understanding of Israel within the Middle East and the challenges and opportunities that the Jewish state faces in the 21st century. For our listeners, we encourage you to consider viewing CBN News, the Jerusalem Dateline. He is an author of excellent books, including ISIS, Iran, and Israel, what you need to know about the current Mideast crisis and the coming Mideast war. Welcome to you, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us on America his round table.
1: Welcome Chris. Thank you, Joel
2: and Natasha. Great to be with you.
0: Chris, uh, I recall us being in Jerusalem in December 2016, when then President-elect Donald Trump made an official statement to move the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, a historic endeavor.
1: History was made on May 14, 2018, when the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem was opened on the day of the 70th anniversary of the Israeli Declaration of Independence. In January this year, in Washington, D.C., U.S. President Donald Trump unveiled his peace plan with a position that Israeli sovereignty can be applied to Judea and Samaria, also known as the West Bank, only within the context of the plan. The Peace to Prosperity, also known as the Trump Peace Plan, allows for the annexation of 30% of Area C within the West Bank area.
0: Chris, as leaders from within Israel begin the process to annex parts of Judea and Samaria, the heartland of Israel, what is the situation on the ground within Israel and Judea-Samaria, and what are the actual steps that need to be taken to implement the Trump administration peace plan?
2: Well, again, it's great to be with you, uh, Joel and Natasha. And when you mentioned Natasha back on uh, May 14, 2018, uh, when the U.S. Embassy was officially uh, announced or, or actually declared. I was there at that uh, particular, uh, actually, historic occasion. And, uh, you know, but preceding that declaration or recognition or moving the embassy to Jerusalem, there was a lot of uh, angst. Uh, people thought maybe World War Three would break out or the Middle East would be in flames. Uh, there are some people saying that right now about annexation. And let, let me first uh, say annexation might be a bit of a misnomer. Uh, Annexation has the idea that actually Israel is taking over other land that they don't uh, currently uh, are settled in, sort of like uh, Russia taking over Crimea. Uh, What they are doing is applying Israeli law over the Jewish communities that are already in uh, Judea and Samaria or the West Bank. Uh, So that would be a more... Perhaps accurate explanation of what an- annexation actually means. And they're not taking over additional land that they don't already have, or they're seizing Palestinian land. But the reaction is uh, is very strong uh, against annexation by nations like Jordan. Uh, in fact, there seemed to be it was headlined the other day that uh, King Abdullah would not even take a phone call from Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu, he is definitely against annexation, as well as other Arab uh, nations, like uh, the ambassador from the UAE, United Arab Emirates, just came out against it. In fact, he had a Hebrew uh, language op-ed about that. And so gives you an idea of sort of the tension going on right here. Even inside the government right now, uh, Joel and Natasha, there is a disagreement about, you know, whether or not to implement annexation. Obviously, Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu ran on that platform before the latest election. However, alternate Prime Minister Benny Gantz, who's also the uh, defense minister, seems to be uh, is somewhat opposed to it. And there's a lot of disagreement, perhaps, of how this uh, you know, Trump peace plan should be implemented. One thing that's going on, very important thing, is that Ambassador David Friedman and sort of the U.S. administration is working with the Israeli uh, government right now, mapping out what actually would be the territories annexed by Israel. So there's a a lot of things going on. It's it's headline news here almost every day, all the uh, developments happening uh, almost on a daily basis.
0: Chris uh, we were able to view your recent uh, interview with Odad Ravivi a mayor in the uh, Jewish uh, uh, community within the heartland of uh, Israel and he was uh, commenting about what this particular peace plan means for the Jewish communities in Judea Samaria uh, what were his thoughts and what did you take as sort of a, a key element uh, as to how they view this peace plan
2: well Uh, The mayor of Afrat, Vivi, is wholeheartedly behind the Trump peace plan. He thinks it's a historic opportunity uh, for Israelis living in the biblical heartland. And uh, now he doesn't think it's a final answer, but he thinks it's a great step uh, for these communities, Jewish communities in the biblical heartland. Just to give you a little historical context. The quote-unquote West Bank really had few, if any, Jews in it before 1967. After the 1967 Six-Day War, uh, Jews began to resettle this land, which when we call it the biblical heartland, we're talking about Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. We're talking about Shiloh, where the uh, tabernacle of the Lord was there for over 300 years. Hebron, where the uh, first uh, Jewish capital uh, was before it came uh, to Jerusalem. So this is uh, the biblical stories that we read are are in mainly in that area. Also, uh, as someone's pointing out to me actually this morning, the covenantal altars that were uh, built uh, with The Lord and the Jewish people are mainly in this area, Jerusalem, Hebron, uh, Bethel. And so uh, now this is what uh, Ravidi, Mayor Ravidi, said. He thinks it's a historic opportunity. However, there are many other Jewish leaders uh, like Mayor Ravidi uh, that disagree with it. And the reason they do, Joel and Natasha, is they believe that the Trump peace plan uh, is looking for a Palestinian state and they're concerned that if the uh, annexation goes through, uh, then the uh, Palestinian state would be established. Now, people on the other side of the argument saying, well, what that means is in the Trump peace plan is a Palestinian state has to be negotiated. They have to disavow terrorism. They have to uh, disavow incitement. They have to change their textbooks and uh, they have to recognize Israel as a Jewish state. And the people that are saying let's do this are saying the current status of the Palestinian state. They don't do that, and unlikely they will. And there be there's a four-year period built into the peace plan where hopefully Israel or the Palestinian state would get to that kind of uh, criteria. Uh, so that that is there. On the other hand, uh, the Jewish leaders in Judea and Samaria are saying, you know, we. We we can't accept even the notion of a Palestinian state, even if those criteria uh, may never be met. And so that so there's a disagreement even with uh, the Jewish leaders in Judea and Samaria.
1: When we think about Palestinian state, would it be acceptable uh, theoretically? I mean, if there was no Hamas, which is dis- designated as a terrorist organization.
2: Yeah, there, there could be. I mean, if they disavowed terrorism, and not only just Hamas and Natasha, but also there are elements of the Palestinian Authority called, their political group called Fatah, uh, you know, some of them have not disavowed terrorism. And so it remains to be seen if you could have a Palestinian entity that would meet all the criteria set forth in the Trump peace plan, disavowing uh, terrorism and not paying terrorists, uh, convicted terrorists in uh, prison for their families, and uh, so it, it remains to be seen if that could ever come uh, come forth. Now, one added, added interesting wrinkle about this is that if you go into the West Bank and talk to many Palestinians, privately they might say, we would rather be under Israeli, uh, you know, rule and law. Uh, they recognize that Israel has many other benefits than the Palestinian Authority could offer. But whether or not they say that publicly remains to be seen. They, they typically don't. There was an undercover report by one of the Israeli media not too long ago where in, uh, a sort of an undercover journalist went in and talked to many of these Palestinians, and many of them said, you know, we life would be better if we were l- under uh, living under Israeli law, but that's very dangerous for them to say publicly.
0: Chris, uh, in the Washington Post, Ishan Taru wrote a recent piece in which he quotes Robert Satloff, an executive director of the Washington Institute for Near East Policy, who says, I quote, a cost-benefit analysis argues for preserving the status quo, unquote. How are Israel's leaders balancing the efforts to implement the Trump peace plan and respond to the Arab and European nations which are publicly opposing the efforts to bring about stability and prosperity in Israel and the region?
2: Well, I guess status quo, uh, Joel, would certainly be uh, the easier way to go and and perhaps maintain, uh, you know, a relative calm right now. Obviously, many of the Arab nations in the EU certainly have come against that. Uh, there was a spokesman for the European Union here not too long ago who says this is against international law, we are opposed that, and they want a negotiated two-state solution. Let me, let me tell you two things uh, that, that might be relevant to here. First of all, it was just a few, uh, few weeks ago was the 100th anniversary of what's called the San Remo Resolution. That was just a few years after the end of World War I, where the great powers of the world divided up the Middle East and the Ottoman Empire. They established what's called the Palestinian Mandate, where they gave uh, the Jewish people a right to resettle a homeland. That included not only all of the West Bank, current Israel, but also much of Jordan, uh, where they wanted the Jews to come back and reestablish their homeland. So, based on that international law, which has never been abrogated, you could argue that all of the West Bank, including part of Jordan, should be part of uh, of Israel. And one added thing, too, that I've been hearing, uh, uh, Joel and uh, Natasha, is a spiritual uh, perspective. Uh, you know, if you look at the Bible, it says in Joel chapter 3 that God will judge nations if they divide God's land. And so some Christians are arguing, listen, you know, annexation might be good. You might have, uh, you know, more Israeli control, over some of these Jewish communities. However, you're still dividing the land God gave to the Jewish people, and there are consequences. That's, uh, that's one other perspective here in, in a situation and a topic that has many different players uh, putting in their their perspective.
1: I believe that we would not be talking about the peace plan today if the Palestinian territories which have been governed by Hezbollah on one side and Palestinian authorities faction Fatah, which you mentioned, on the other side, if these territories had the rule of law, protection of property rights and good governance already in place. Perhaps, if there was an opportunity for economic prosperity, we wouldn't have experienced the recurring conflict but peace in the region. President Trump's peace to prosperity, having an economic and political framework, is well thought through, with the potential to facilitate more than $50 billion in new investment over 10 years, benefiting the Palestinian people. Chris, what other obstacles do you see to the implementation of the Trump administration's peace plan?
2: Natasha, you mentioned something that would be uh, an economic boon to the uh, uh, Palestinian people, $50 billion worth of investment. It could just revitalize all of that area the West Bank. However, it was rejected out of hand by Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas. I I think it's uh, two things I think are standing in the way of that economic prosperity, or implementation of the economic part of the Trump peace plan. First of all, I think it's political. I think that uh, Mahmoud Abbas uh, rejects the whole notion of many of the criteria of the Trump peace plan. They would have to recognize Israel as a Jewish state. That's one major obstacle politically for Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority. And I would think an added thing uh, issue as well, and I don't think this is discussed Nearly as option is the religious uh, objection by the Palestinian Authority. There is a concept within Islam that any land that had been uh, conquered by Islam uh, needs to go back under the rule uh, uh, or under Muslim rule. And so, when Israel recaptured the uh, the West Bank, the city of Jerusalem, or the Old City of Jerusalem, uh, really for many. Uh, Palestinians, and you can see this in their uh, sermons in the mosques or official statements. Uh, for many, this is a religious issue, and they don't want uh, the Jewish people, uh, much less any uh, non-Muslim, to be ruling over land that they believe needs to go back uh, under Muslim rule. So, I think those two things would be would be obstacles to implementing this this economic plan, which on paper is. Um, would seem ideal for the Palestinian people to bring them into prosperity.
0: Chris, uh, when we've been watching what's happening here in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill, uh, apparently there is a letter being circulated among the House caucus uh, within the within Washington, D.C. here. It was reported by the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, and apparently the House members uh, are trying to put together a letter that says, and it's uh, basically intended for Israel, warning about the dangers of annexation, uh, and uh, this letter is actually being prepared by leaders within the Democratic caucus, basically progressive members, including the individuals part of the squad, the full freshman congresswoman representatives, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, Ilan Omar of Minnesota, and Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts. And and their intent is to basically communicate an explicit threat of uh, diminishment of aid to Israel, uh, which they want written into the letter. Uh, What do you see from your perspective as uh, as what this letter could do? And uh, would it uh, uh, certainly uh, convey a pathway, uh, f- especially from the congressional side where the House Democrats are in control, uh, that would try to remove aid and assistance to Israel?
2: Well, I think uh, one thing, uh, Joel, is that it sort of is a indication of which direction the Democratic Party is going, and uh, the members of the squad that are taking the Democratic Party more and more to the left And uh, some would argue that more and more anti-Israel lack of support, as opposed to bipartisan uh, support by both uh, Democrats and Republicans, for for decades. Uh, You know, this threat of uh, withdrawing aid from Israel, I think, is something that has become more and more part of the Uh, Democratic platform. I think Bernie Bernie, uh, Sanders has said that, uh, Elizabeth Warren. And I think that's becoming more part of the Democratic platform as well, as they look forward to their uh, convention later this summer. I I just think it's an indication uh, of of which way the Democratic Party is going, a more uh, vociferous, uh, maybe that's too strong, but a a more uh, confrontational uh, view of uh, their rela- U.S.-Israel relationship. Uh, obviously, I don't think the, the Trump administration will go along with the letter or what they're asking for in the letter, uh, but I think more a sign of where the Democrat Party is heading in terms of its relationship with Israel.
1: And Chris, yesterday um, there was a, another rocket fired from Gaza into southern Israel. And from the Jerusalem Post, we also read that a Lebanese newspaper reported that Gaza terrorists had agreed to hold the incendiary and explosive balloon launches after millions of dollars in Qatari funds were approved to be transferred to the Strip. Uh, Qatari officials later stated that the funds had already been approved and would be delivered this week or next week. How would you interpret that this happened so many times, even as we were in Israel together, that on one side you have new rockets coming as an extortion while the funds are being approved to Gaza?
2: It's a great question, Natasha, uh, because I think these incendiary devices, uh, not only explosive devices but arsonist devices. I've really wreaked havoc there in uh, southern Israel for literally years right now. We've been down there and seen uh, some of these incendiary devices that have burned uh, thousands of acres, actually, of farmland right there on the Gaza-Israel border. And, uh, you know, that's one more threat against uh, Israel and and the possibility of more missile attacks uh, because of the possibility of annexation. And, uh, and the funding is, is coming, and that would just exacerbate the situations, particularly uh, there on the southern border.
0: This week on an America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we were truly honored to have an extraordinary media leader join us from Israel's capital city, Jerusalem. Chris Mitchell is the CBN News Middle East Bureau Chief based in Jerusalem, Israel. Chris, thank you so much for your time thank and you. for joining us.
1: Thank you, Chris.
2: Joel and Natasha, great to be with you, and hopefully the next time uh, we'll see
0: you here. In Jerusalem. I am Joel Sami, your co host, joined by Natasha Sertorch, economist and co founder of the International Leaders Summit. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. Visit our website, iLeadersSummit.org. Follow us on Twitter, iLeadersSummit Summit and America's RT. On Facebook, International Leaders Summit and America's Roundtable. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable.